All right, so we are wrapping up our series on James, Unconventional Wisdom. Anybody got maybe a little bit more wisdom over the last couple of months? Hope so. Um, we've been talking about, and through the book of James, there are five chapters, and you know, I, I think we've been pretty practical as we've looked at ways that we can grow in our faith, ways that we can obtain and practice more wisdom. Now, if you remember, back in June, we took a look at chapter 1. And that's a powerful beginning to all of James. And really, as we conclude today, this first text in James 1 still sets up where we're ending up. If you remember, James says something that sounds absolutely crazy at first. He says, count it all joy, brother, my brothers and sisters, when you experience many trials of various kinds. Because through these trials, you will grow in perseverance. And when perseverance finishes its course, you will become mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, that's, we're going to pick that up today as we talk about it, but I want you to think about that. Got any trials today? Got any things you don't understand that you're working through in your life? Well, James says that is the opportunity for you and I to meet God and ultimately to grow in our faith, to become what God intends us to become, to grow in maturity, and ultimately in that process to be able to help others. All right. So that's a message for us because we all struggle, don't we? We all have stuff going on in our life. We fight inner battles. Um, of all types. You know, some of us are wondering about our own significance, our meaning. What, you know, what is my place in this world? What am I supposed to do this week? What am I supposed to do with this situation? What am I supposed to do in this relationship this week? We all have struggles. And I think many of us have been reflecting on the death of Robin Williams this week. I mean, this um, incredible light in... Um, I mean, a comedian, actor, all the different things that he played in our culture. But he was amazing intellect, funny guy, incredible actor. And we can think through many of the movies that he made over the years that maybe had an impact on us. I go back to Dead Poets Society, late 80s. I was you know, in college still. And it was a time in my life where I was trying to figure out, what am I going to do with, with my life? Where am I going with my life. And I'll never forget the Carpe Diem, seize the day, seize the day, boys, make your lives extraordinary, that had an impact on me. And I think uh, many of us were impacted by some of his films. And yet here's this guy that when we look at him, he has, I mean, he's the highest level of fame. And yet inside, tremendous battles. Great conflict within Robin Williams. And that played itself out in addiction and, you know, I don't know the full extent of his mental health issues, but where he had great highs and deep depressions, manic times and down times. And he battled for years all the stuff that was going inside. And I think that hits home for us, even as we think about our role in this world, because many of us have struggled. Some of us have, uh, we've struggled with mental health. We've had difficult times. You may be in one right now, or you have somebody close to you um, 
somebody in your family that's struggled big time. And so we know that through struggle, we've got to be heading somewhere. Because a lot of times we just feel desperate. And God says, we are going somewhere. And he says, I want you to meet me so I can show you the way how to work through your struggles. Because otherwise, we just try to hide our broken ways, don't we? We try to look like we're better on the outside, yet inside, we're all broken and we struggle. And God is here with us and wants to lead us in this direction of health and maturity. So here's what James says in chapter 5. He gives us some pretty uh, powerful and encouraging and challenging words. Here's what he says. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as, as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then he prayed again, and the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. So let's talk about it. What does that mean for us? Well, I want us to, today to talk about prayer and community. I want us to talk about what happens when you and I pray, when we get prayed for, and when we begin to search out what God is doing in our life and how that impacts us and people around us. And so we're going to look at three things as we talk about prayer and community. The first thing is, um, you know, prayer happens in community. Secondly, we've got to be known in community for prayer to be effective. And the third thing is that if we want to heal or find healing, healing only happens in and through community. So what does it mean for us to pray? I mean, James says some remarkable things here. Once again, some you know, very big statements. He tells us that the sick can be healed when we pray. And so we wonder. We're like, I want to experience that. I would love for, to have the opportunity to pray for somebody and for them immediately to be healed. Now, is that what James is promising to us as we pray? Not necessarily. Does he give us a formula that we can follow and say, if I just do it this way, if I do it the right way, then I know that things are going to start to go right for me. I know that this person's going to get healed. I know things are going to change in my life. No, James doesn't give us a formula. But he earnestly invites each one of us and calls us to pray. To pray. Because James believes that there's power in prayer. And over time, as we pray, things change. We change. But we got to pray. This, uh, this last week, I was talking with a friend, 
And I hadn't seen him in, in, in quite a long time, and, and uh, I, I'd known that his marriage had uh, dissolved a few years ago, and uh, just ran into each other, and we were catching up, and uh, that's been really hard for him. It took him a long time to get over his marriage when it failed, and just wrestling with all the, the guilt and the hurt and all that kind of stuff. And then he met somebody, and he started dating this girl a couple years ago, I guess three years ago, and they got engaged, and he really thought, this is the person that God has brought into my life to bring healing. I mean, it's starting to make, life's starting to make sense again. And then this spring, she broke off the engagement. And so he's, he's sitting in this, um, you know, feeling like he doesn't know how to pray, feeling alone, like God's forgotten about him. And the question is, as I listen, how do I respond? How do I help him as a friend? The only thing I could do was pray. And pray that God would begin to show him his path. That he is present. That God is merciful and loves him and cares for him in this moment of pain. There's power in prayer. And I don't know how God is going to answer that prayer. I don't know what God is going to do in this friend's life. But I truly believe that he's going to heal my friend. Here's a, what somebody once said about prayer and what happens in prayer. We must begin to believe that God, in the mystery of prayer, has entrusted us with a force that can move the heavenly world and can bring its power to earth. That prayers actually bring heaven and earth together. Jesus said that, but it's hard for us to grasp because we're human beings. But when we pray, we connect with God. And God is at work. Even though we don't understand it, God's at work. So James says, I want you to pray. And I want you to believe and I want you to look to God in your struggle, in your pain, and he will show up. That's the funny thing, too, is even though my friend's hurting and he's struggling, I know deep down inside, even though he feels very much alone, he believes that God will meet him. And so he's keeping, uh, keeping that door open. He's wanting to seek um, I find it interesting, as James makes this reference to Elijah, so Elijah is a prophet. I mean, he played this incredible role in the Old Testament. In 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19, if you want to read the story, you can. I mean, here's Elijah who, uh, I mean, he had these effective prayers. He took on, so in that time, the king was corrupt, the king of Israel, king of God's people, and and they were following all these false things. He had all these false prophets. And they'd set up uh, basically worship of this false god, Baal. 450 prophets to this false god, Baal. And Elijah takes them on. He says, hey, I'm sick of this. Let's, uh, let's have a little duel. Your god against mine. And so, you know, he has, there's this huge event. They're up on the top of Mount Carmel. 
And there are all these prophets. He says, you go first. You do your thing. You, you get Baal to respond. I want to see his power. He can demonstrate it to all the people. And so they're doing all these crazy, you know, uh, things as they try to get their God to respond. Nothing. And then Elijah, he calls on God, who comes in a powerful way. Everything burns up around the area, and ultimately all the false prophets are killed. So Elijah has this incredible experience of God's power. He was a man of prayer. And yet in the very next scene, in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, he goes into depression because he is God's prophet and he hears that the queen, Jezebel, wants him dead just as all these false prophets have been killed, and he flees, and he goes to a quiet place, and here's what he says. He says, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than any of my ancestors who've already died. And then he goes on to say, you know, I'm the only one left. Just kill me now. He has a huge experience of God, and then in the next scene, He's ready to get out of town. He's done with life. A man of prayer, a man of God, and I find this so helpful for us because he felt alone. He felt like nobody understood. And in chapter 19, God comes to him in a, in a, a pretty profound way. Um, here's, what, here's what God says to him. He says, you know, first Elijah says, I've had enough. You know, I just can't do this anymore. Take my life. I'm ready to get out of this place. And here's what God says to him. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And I think that's a question that God asks us as well. What are you doing here? So God, um, there's this huge wind that comes up for Elijah, and he's sitting over in this cave, and there's a huge wind, and rocks are getting knocked all over the place, and it says in the text, God wasn't in the wind. And then in the next scene, there's this massive earthquake, things are getting knocked around and splitting, and it says God wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was a third thing. Anybody know what that was? Can't remember right now. Fire. Fire all over the place. God wasn't in the fire. And then there's this gentle breeze. And in that gentle breeze, God spoke to Elijah. You know what? As we pray, I believe he'll speak to us the same way. Gently and lovingly and challengingly because he knows us. He knows our need. Here's what David said in the psalm, Psalm 32. Um, I love this text. It says, Oh, what a joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yet, yes, what a joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared a guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide 
my guilt, I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. And so whatever our struggle is, whether it's just, you know, health, uh, stuff that we're struggling through, sin, the bottom line is God wants us to be honest and to come. Because that's where he's going to meet us. When we pray, when we share uh, what's happening in our lives with others so they can pray for us, God promises that he'll meet us. I mean, part of our healing is to be honest before God. The other part of our healing is to be honest with a few friends. Because we've got we've to be known by others. If God's mercy and healing and grace are going to come into our lives. Now, I want to point out this, uh, this one verse. It's really kind of a centerpiece to the text today. James says this. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Just think about that for a moment. Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. Do you have friends like that? Um, I know it's risky. This is risky because our conventional wisdom is, I'm not going to tell anybody anything about what's happening inside of me. I'm not going to let them in. Because what are they going to do? What are they going to say if they really knew this about me? And I've been there too. I, I know that kind of wisdom. But God says, healing comes when you and I open ourselves up to others, to a few friends who are going to stand with us, who are going to love us, who are going to be honest with us. I mean, <clears throat> we need those friends who are going to be honest with us. Uh, my daughter was... Uh, kids are honest, right? My daughter was sitting on my lap. It was last, a week ago, Saturday night. We were at a friend's house, and we're sitting there eating dinner. It's after dinner, and Reagan was playing off with the kids, and she came back and, to the table, and she sat on my lap, and I was sitting there. It was this beautiful moment. There's my daughter sitting on my lap, and she looks at me after I was saying something. She said, Dad, your breath stinks. <laughs> nice and loud, so everybody could hear. Isn't that true? I mean, we, it may look like everything's fine on the outside, but... You know, we all got stinky stuff, right? You need a friend who would call you out in a loving way, in a good way. We need friends like that. All right, well, I want to I share a, a story because if we're honest, we all struggle. And we, know, we, need, uh, we need to connect with God. We need others who will pray for us. We need others who will stand with us. And I want to share Brandon's story. I'm going to invite him and some friends to come up on stage, and we'll talk about it a little bit. But here, uh, watch this, and then we'll get into their story. Brandon Boylan is puttering around his kitchen, making himself a snack. Today, it's a banana and a carefully measured scoop of peanut butter. The 23-year-old looks pretty healthy, but not long ago, he looked like this. My lowest weight, I'm five foot six on a good day, standing up really straight, and I got down to 103 pounds. Brandon says his problem started in his late teens. He had been heavier as a child, but discovered exercise and eating healthier. But it soon spiraled out of control. I refused to eat nuts if it wasn't in the 100 calorie packs. 
there was one point when I wouldn't even drink a whole protein shake because it was too much. I would do half a scoop of protein shake and half an apple and consider that dinner. But the more weight he lost, the better he thought he looked when he saw himself in the mirror. I saw The Rock. I saw Arnold Schwarzenegger. I saw cover model six-pack abs, except Brandon Boylan in that light. Family, friends, even co-workers were seeing Brandon waste away. They begged him to get help. There's a monster inside of you. I know I would have died. Brandon, how are you? Hey, Hi. how are you? How are you doing? Um, hey, just, so that, that's a heavy statement. I know I would have died. Tell us about where you were a couple of years ago. Uh, actually, gosh, it wasn't even two years ago. It was, it was about a year and a half ago or so. Um, I mean, you saw the picture, uh, and I literally, I, I was going to die. Um, and I'm not just saying that to build drama or anything like that. Uh, my brain was actually shutting down. Um, I would go for times where I would stand in one place for 10 minutes and all of a sudden come back and have no idea what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, physically, emotionally, spiritually, I was dead. And I'd known I had an eating disorder for a couple of years. Um, I'd even admitted it. and uh, But it became a sense of pride mm-hmm. almost for me because... I had something you didn't have, um, and I struggled, and you had no idea what struggle was. That was the mentality I had. So in a weird way, me dying was making me better than everyone else, and uh, yeah, it was a scary time. So what woke you up? What, what, what began to change? Um, well, a couple things happened in my life. Uh, graduated college and then moved out here to San Antonio, and my family got to see me uh, more often. And uh, they start, started going to therapy with me. Um, I had started going to therapy again. And uh, one day they came with letters. Um, I'm, a, I'm a writer myself, so the written word really hits me harder than them talking to me. And um, they, they all brought me letters that they had written telling me how much I had hurt them um, from my actions because that's one thing about uh, the way I was living is I was very selfish and very self-centered. And and, uh, they basically said, you have a choice. You're either going to put yourself in treatment, in a treatment facility, or we're walking away because we love you too much to watch you die. And uh, about that same time where I was living at, um, a, a billboard for Rock Hills, popped up uh, just about that same time. And so one day I was driving to to church, the church I had always gone to, uh, showed up on Sunday, smiled real well, told everyone how great I was doing. And uh, as I was withering away, and uh, I just turned the other way and went to Rock Hills. And I finally just looked at God and said, you know what, I'm going one time. You got one shot. I I called God out. I said, you got one shot uh, because... I didn't know what else to do, and I went, and Michael and Rachel were there. So you met Brandon. Do you remember that first Sunday? Yes, we do. We were having a um, like a new person luncheon type thing after, and we saw Brandon come up. He was very just charismatic and was so eager to get involved in Rock Hills, and that's what we really noticed about him. Mm-hmm. He's very genuine. So how did you get to know him then? Well... 
we invited him into our rock group. We uh, ate lunch after church. Um, so you went to lunch that Sunday or sometime? We had the lunch in, so we started inviting him to come to our lunch groups um, every other Sunday for rock group and just started to build a friendship there, see where things were going on in his life. And he was still searching. You could see that. And, but he just had this, you know, this energy that, you know, he, he was ready for God to show up in that moment. You know, he, he was just anticipating it. And um, it took a lot of courage for him to just open up to us. Because I remember we were at Churchill at the time, and he just came up. He's like, man, I've got an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know how to respond like you were saying with your friend, Dave. And I was like, that's difficult. Let's pray about it. Let's, you know, um, let's just start going down this path and see where that leads. And I didn't know where he was at, along that path, but I knew um, we were going to just be there available for him in whatever we could do. Um, yeah. So it was just, it was unique to start that journey. Yeah. Well, then, so you're getting to know Brandon, and you find out he's looking for a place to live. What, what happened? Okay, so we're at lunch, and uh, it happened to be a particularly hard Sunday for, at least for me, we were going through something with our dog anyway. Um, so we're at lunch, and um, it was almost exactly a year ago in July. Uh, we went to lunch with Brandon, just seeing how he was doing. He was, seemed to be doing so much better, and he just kind of threw out there that he needed a place to stay. And um, somehow, I opened my mouth, and I'm like, well, we have a room available at our house. And anybody that knows me knows I'm very private, and um, that probably would not have been my first instinct was to invite someone else to live in our home. Um, but it was like so God did you just, go out to the car after that and just, like, you just chew yourself out? Well, I was what, like, what have I done? I was like, <laughs> what just happened, you know? Um, but we had, we had, Michael and I had discussed, we had our room available, and if there was ever somebody that we could share our home with, that we would do it. So God called me out and said, okay, Rachel. Um, you so know, you were willing, yeah. Yes, willing. yes, we were, we were definitely willing, and, and then he called a couple days later, and he was like, hey, can I take you up on that? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and it just all went from there. Yeah. And then, so, uh, you guys, you were meeting in a, in a, in a group, you know, talking about the scripture together. Um, that's where you got to know Clay. Yeah. Um, after I, or before I moved in with them is when I started going to, uh, to the treatment facility. And, uh, at that time, um, this is when I was going to lunch with them and, and doing rock group and stuff and started going to the treatment and just because of the way it's built and everything, I knew I needed to put all my energy and mind you, I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I say my brain literally had shrinked. I didn't have energy to give, and I knew I needed to put everything I had into treatment. And so I just looked at Michael one time, and I said, man, this is going to be the last Wednesday. I'm coming for a little while. Just I've got to put everything into this. And he goes, the chair is there for you right there when you're ready to come back. He goes, if you need anything, you have my number. You call me. And, and so the next time I went back is, is uh, when I met Clay. Clay was there. And uh, we just started to grow as a group and, and really, like you were saying, pray for each other. Um, that was the biggest thing. They, they never tried to give me answers. We just prayed. We just were a community. And, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it was really powerful to be a part of that. And then Clay, after you know, Ren had to move out uh, from Michael and Rachel's, and then you bought a house. Yeah. What got so, into you to... So, uh, they, yeah. They did a trade behind Yeah, them. we did. Yeah. We did. 
I helped Brandon move uh, from Michael to his uh, new residence on kind of the other side of town, 1604. And so he was there for a couple months, and I'm just sharing, like, you know, I'm buying a house. And I've lived by myself for three years, four years, ever since I got out of college. And so um, I had two rooms available, um, like they were saying. And I was like, well, you know, this is a lot closer to where we're meeting up, um, center of town, and just offered my one of my spare rooms to Brandon. And, uh, and ever since then, just come really close. Yeah. And, and how did you, uh, real quick, Clay, so how did, how did you benefit from having uh, you know, just another Christian guy living with you? Yeah, it was, uh, it was great. Um, you know, us guys, the world now, it's like you don't want to tell anyone anything because it's just out of fear, right? Um, you know, you tell someone something, they may look at you weird, like, oh, this guy's just, just weird. Um, I would never think that. Why would, why would someone do that? But uh, Brandon was just honest. Um, he shared in the Bible study about his struggle just with me and, and, uh, mm-hmm. and Matt Michael here, and um, that gave me strength to be honest to him, and um, so yeah, we just had a really open relationship. Cool. And Brandon, what have you learned through living with uh, well, friends? one, Rachel's the reason I got crazy enough to become a teacher, so thank you for that. <laughs> um, but no, really, to put it into words, it is it's not possible. Um, I grew up um, I have a lot of personal issues with my mother, um, and I didn't realize how deep-seated those issues were till I was living with a woman for the first time in, since I moved out in high school. And uh, Rachel really helped me heal in that um, by just letting me open up to her and talk to her. And, and then to live with Michael and to live with Clay, um, you know, one, they took the risk knowing that I was pursuing this career of being a teacher. And... And when I had been in my struggle, I put myself in a really bad financial situation um, because I would buy stuff to try and fill the hole, um, the God-shaped hole that I had in my life. And so they took a risk opening up their doors um, to me to help me pursue my dream and to help me build my relationship with God. And just doing that and living with them, um, learned what it meant to be a man. Uh, For me, you know, like I said in the video, for me, athletes celebrities sitcom guys those were guys that's what that's what a man was daggummit you know like that's what i that's the mentality i had i'm not I, you know you had to to you know spit and scratch and do all that stuff no but these guys just showed me that it's like it's okay to be raw and real and honest um and yeah yeah we still yeah but anyways um <laughs> But, and they just, you know, showed me what it meant to be a man of God and just gave me that safe place to open up. Um, yeah. And then ultimately, uh, you know, through, you know, seeing these guys live out their faith in a very honest way, um, how did you see Jesus in that? Well, one of the things uh, when I was, you know, dying, um, everybody, we didn't really understand all the mental issues that were going on. I mean, I have off-the-charts OCD, high anxiety, I've gone through bouts of depression, and that's really what caused the eating disorder. The dis- eating disorder was really just the, the means to an end, as odd as that sounds. And um, everyone always tried to, to heal me and get me better. I'd just go eat a cheeseburger. You know, why don't you just eat a couple cheeseburgers? You'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And they didn't understand everything that was going on. These guys never did that. You know, they just 
were like, hey, we're here for you. They empathized with me, but they didn't try to do anything. They didn't try to heal me themselves. They just said, you know, here's Jesus. That's, that's all we got. That, you know, that's all we can do. And they just showed me that. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. Let me, uh, let me pray with you all here a moment. You can, you can join us. Yeah. I just want to close out with one thing. One, um, whether you know me well or not, you guys have all been a part of my healing process, and you're all a part of the reason I'm sitting up here today. And uh, I just encourage you, whether it's an eating disorder or depression or anxiety or whatever it is, seek someone out. Um, because I wouldn't be sitting here, not just in this church, not just you know in this town, but on this world without relationship. And um, if you know if you have an eating disorder and you want to come talk to me, I'm open about it. I'm here for you. Um, and I just want to encourage you with that. So, thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, Father, yeah. Uh, Father, this is, uh, I'm so thankful for Brandon um, and, and Clay and Michael and Rachel's a willingness to come forward, to be up front, to honestly talk through um, Brandon's health, uh, their faith together. And how you've been at work in it all. Um, we give you the thanks uh, for the healing that's happening in Brandon's life. We, we give you the thanks for the growth of faith that's been happening in this group of friends. Because that's how you do it, Lord. Thank you. And I pray that uh, you know, we'll be moved to see the opportunities that we have as well. Um, Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. You just leave those there. Um, what a, a moving, real story. And, and so thank you again for being willing to share it. And really, the, I think the, the encouragement or the, the charge for us today is how can we be more open in our life as we pursue faith and a deeper relationship with God? And how can we be simply willing and available to help the people that God puts around us. Because I, I believe that's where this text comes to life. When we take that opportunity to share our lives and to share our, uh, share our sins uh, with someone else and allow the healing to come. Because God wants us to heal and to mature and to grow in Christ. And we do that together. All right, why don't you come on forward, we'll finish up. Hey, um, if you would like to be prayed for at the end of service today, um, I'll be in the back, uh, Jan Hassler will be in the back. We would love to pray with you uh, if you're going through stuff, that's why we're here. And uh, you know, I hope this will help you understand that you're not alone.